Good morning. It's good to see you guys. It's good to be back in the auditorium. For those of you who've just been coming to Grace for a few months, you can see what you are missing now, being down in the gym. Um, and we're glad that you're here. It's actually uh, pretty cool. First of all, just if you're, this is your first time, just want to say a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here and hope that you feel uh, right at home here. Just make yourself at home. Um, my name is Derek, and um, it's good to see you guys. Um, so I just have to share one really cool story. So, um, you know, the earthquake hit, and there were all these fault lines in the back behind this curtain here, and the, structurally this place was, was condemned. And, and actually, this place isn't supposed to open for like six more weeks. And um, it's pretty cool how God's favors just seems to be on us because not only have the, the, uh, the, the faculty at, uh, at TJ been working really hard and advocating that we come back in here, but also the custodians have been working double time to kind of get everything cleaned up for us. But here, here's the coolest part. Um, there's like tons of construction that's still going on. It's structurally sound, so don't go running out of here in a panic. It's structurally sound. But there's like still a lot of cosmetic stuff. All the rigging and everything has to be put back up. And so there's like scaffolding and like huge pieces of equipment. Uh, and this entire stage on Thursday when I came down here was like completely full of like heavy-duty equipment. And the team of construction folks who are actually working here, nothing to do with Grace Community Church at all, have agreed every single week for the next six weeks to take all the stuff at the end of their work week and move it behind this curtain so that we'd be able to meet here. Uh, and it's just, it's just amazing to me. Uh, it just seems like God has his hand upon us. His favor is resting upon us. And so it's, a, it's an exciting time. And um, so forgive the little tarps and things like that. Don't, don't worry about that. We're just we're happy to be back in. Um, I want to jump right in this morning. We are in Acts chapter 17. If you have your Bible, go ahead and take that out. Turn to Acts 17. Um, we are looking at the life of Paul, and we've been going through the book of Acts, because that talks all about Paul's life. And um, in Acts chapter 17, we find that Paul is just, this, this chapter is full of preaching. I mean, everywhere Paul goes, he is preaching. He is trying to explain to people uh, his under, new understanding of faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And so in Acts 17, we see that Paul is in three different places with his team of, uh, of, of folks. They're in Thessalonica, they're in Berea, and they're in Athens. The first two cities, um, he's, he's in, in the Jewish synagogue as he's, um, you know, as he's trying to share with everybody. And this is how it goes. I'll read just a, a couple of excerpts here. Acts 17, verses 2 and 3. This is in Thessalonica. It says, As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. And then he actually gets run out of Thessalonica. Okay, there's this massive firestorm that erupts. And so he, he goes on to Berea. And in verse 17, he's in Berea. And look what it says. It says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. Now, God-fearing Greeks would be Greeks who had come to faith in, in the God of Judaism. And they were in the synagogue also practicing and worshiping God. And so he's reasoning with them, as well as in the marketplace day by day, with those who happened to be there. And then he finds himself in the last half of Acts chapter 17. He's in Athens. And 
he's not in the synagogue in Athens. He's actually totally flying solo at this point, but he's in the marketplace, and he is just getting into these debates with these Athenian philosophers and these great thinkers, and he's just having this dialogue and this debate, and he gives, gives this speech to them about who God is. And so what we find throughout Acts chapter 17 is here is this guy, Paul, and he is just on this quest. He's, he's reasoning, he's explaining, he's debating, he's coming up with what are the most compelling reasons that I can convince you that Jesus Christ is actually God. That's what he's all about in Acts 17. And so in the spirit of that, what I want to share with you guys this morning is... Um, the most compelling reasons that I have come across in my life that have uh, been just so instrumental in me coming to faith in Jesus Christ. To be able to believe that the Bible is actually uh, something that we can put some stock in, to believe that, um, that Jesus Christ was who he said he was, um, to believe that there is a God. And so I just want to say, this is just right off the outset, okay? You, th- this is what's been compelling for me. So you might not find these as compelling to you. Um, you'll also find that I'm just presenting, you know, my side of the story. And certainly there's multiple ways to look at some of these things. And so I just want to let you know that right off the bat, uh, that this is just kind of my journey and some things that have been so, so helpful for me in being able to get to a place uh, of faith in Jesus Christ. So um, that's, kind of, that's kind of the deal from the outset. So before we jump in, why don't we uh, say a quick word of prayer? Uh, Father God, uh, we thank you um, for being here this morning with us. And uh, we ask, God, that you would guide us. Uh, we're all on a journey. We're all here uh, seeking answers, seeking truth, uh, seeking you. And um, Lord, just help us in that quest. Be with us. And um, yeah, we just give this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so... Before I jump in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through two main things today. But before I do that, I want to just give you a little bit of a brief background on me in case you, you don't know. Uh, so basically, I grew up um, mostly in Ohio, um, and I grew up in church. I it was one of those kids. My, my brother and I, my parents believed that, you know, they wanted their kids to have good values and be good kids. And so we pretty much spent you know, every Sunday that we were in town in Sunday school. And then, so I did that. And then um, I got into junior high and, and high school. And when I got into high school, I started to get really involved in the high school youth group that we had at my church. Uh, mostly a Presbyterian uh, church is, is, is kind of what I grew up in. And so it was the second part of my high school experience that I started to get really involved, and our, our, our youth group went down, and we built some houses down in Mexico, and that was just really unbelievably cool, and I built some great friendships, and it was, it was great. It was, it was great, but looking back, I didn't at the time, but looking back now, what I realized was that, you know, I, I don't know that, that I had kind of actively made a choice for myself of what I believed. It, this was just kind of what I, was, what I was supposed to do. I mean, this is what my parents did. This was my parents' belief. I didn't really choose this necessarily for, my, for myself, but I, I went along with it. It was cool, you know. I was having a good time. Well, then college hit, and for me, that's just when, like, everything changed for me. So I got to college. I went to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and, um, and I got exposed to all different kinds of things. And I started taking classes in philosophy. And I took, a, like, a background in religious studies course. And, 
Uh, I, I took science classes, and I just, you know, you're at college is really a time of your life where you really, you're just wide open. You're questioning lots of things. You're wondering about stuff. And I had different professors who were throwing different things at us, trying to challenge our belief systems and, and all this. And so through that time in college, it, it, was, it was really a tough time for me because all these questions that I really never thought to, to ask, um, kind of just in this sheltered little environment that I was in, all of a sudden they just kind of came flooding in. And um, through... Uh, just kind of through this process of some years of college, I actually came to the place where I kind of said, you know what, I don't know that I believe this anymore. I don't know that I, I believe uh, that Christianity is, is, is necessarily true. I don't know that I can believe that the Bible is this trustworthy thing. Um, I never lost this belief in, in God or something bigger than me. I never lost that. But I definitely um, wouldn't have called myself a Christian, I would have called myself more of a, an agnostic, maybe a skeptical agnostic would be the best way to put it. And um, so this was about five or six years of my life through college and then as I started working as a professional in, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And then um, kind of the biggest change that I can point to was um, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Becky, she started going to this church uh, in Cincinnati that met in this school, which sounded totally weird to me, okay? I was like, that's just bizarre. So she starts going to this church, and I really hadn't been going to church in many years, and I didn't really have much of an interest in going, and so she starts inviting me. She starts asking me, you want to come to church? No, I'm not interested, not interested. And so, you know, she was relentless in her own way. You know what I'm saying? How women can be sometimes. I love you, women. But um, she pers- was persistent and uh, so eventually, I was like, fine, I'll come. I'll check it out. I'll see what this cult in the school is all about. So, you know, I get there, and, and it's like, it's, 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 it's wild. There's no pews. There's no choir robes. I mean, like, the whole thing is messed up, right? There's this band up on stage, and they're, like, jamming out and like, ripped jeans and T-shirts. And I'm like, where's the reverence here, people? This is supposed to be a holy place, you know? And it totally messed me up totally messed me up. I was convinced I was never coming back. The first impression, I was like, forget it. Well, the problem was that then this guy gets up to start speaking, and he, it's a very similar format to what we do at Grace. It's basically like a 40-minute message or something, right? And he gets up to talk and, like, opens up the scriptures like I've never heard them opened up before, you know, like in my whole life. And it's, like, cool, and it's relevant, and it's interesting, and it's applicable to my life. And I came away from that message, and I was like, whoa, that's out of the Bible? That's crazy. You know, that's, 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 that's ridiculous. And so I was very conflicted because um, I didn't want to go back, but I kind of had to go. It's like the moth to the flame thing, right? So, well, as you can imagine, <laughs> the story doesn't end that I never went back to church, right? How did we get here? So, um, yeah, it's kind of anticlimactic. But so I started coming back. Um, but here's the coolest thing about this church, okay? This is the part that, that was so helpful for me. Yeah, the, the sermons were great, made sense, were relevant. But the, the coolest part was that this was a church that openly said, hey, listen, this is a place where you can come and we don't expect you to have everything figured out. Like you can have questions and doubts and struggles and all sorts of things that you don't understand. And that's cool because you know what? We don't have all the answers either. We have questions too. And I was like, whoa, churches aren't supposed to say that, you know? Um, but it, what it did was it gave me, this church gave me the freedom to be able to wrestle with things, 
and to be able to struggle with issues and express my doubts and to question things. It, it was a beautiful thing for me. And it was through this process over about the next year and a half that I had some tremendous breakthroughs. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. I want to just share two things that were, were incredible breakthroughs for me. There are more. Uh, again, both of these might not resonate completely with you, but uh, they were very, very uh, meaningful to me and helped me to ultimately come to that place of faith. So the first one, the first major breakthrough I had was on the issue of creation and evolution. You see, I had always, I don't know where I got this from, but I had always kind of had this framework that, that um, in order to believe in Christianity, that you really had to take science and kind of throw it out the window. You know, that, that you had to, you either had to, it was like, okay, if you, if you believe in evolution, you know, then, then okay, that's, that's fine, but then you really can't believe in Christianity. You can't be a Christian. And one of the great breakthroughs that I had was in my understanding of Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis, first book of the Bible, uh, where it, it, it's the creation story. And I had always thought that the primary purpose of Genesis 1 and 2 was to, to answer the question, how did things come to be? You know, how, how did it all begin? And while that is a valid question, it's actually not the most important question. It's not the driving fundamental theological question that begs answering in that. The question isn't so much how things began, but the question that Genesis 1 and 2 seeks to answer is why are we here? Why are we here? Very different from kind of this how, how did we get here? What, what did this look like? Let's see if we can kind of piece together the, the how-to manual. You see, the primary message of Genesis 1 and 2 isn't to try and kind of figure out, okay, so these six days when God created, like were these six literal 24-hour days, or were, you know, was each of these days representative of like you know, millions and millions and millions of years? It's not so much to try and get you to wrestle and try and solve that issue, okay? The primary purpose of why Genesis 1 and 2 is in the Bible is to remind all of us that we are not here by some cosmic accident, okay? It's not just like, just through a whole random series of events, we just happen to be here, and there's no really good meaning or significance or purpose to it. We're all just kind of randomly here. We're all going to die. Great, okay? That, that's That's... What Genesis 1 and 2 speaks to is the fact that we are here, we were created for a purpose. Our lives have meaning and significance. We were created good in the eyes of God who loves us. It's fascinating too, if you read the story, uh, God, you know, creates man to work in paradise. Before, you know, before the, we've, we've had the fall, we've had sin, we've had all this mess up there's actually work that's going on. It shows us that we're actually made to work and be useful and that that is good, that God wants the best for us. See, that's the primary driving purpose of Genesis 1 and 2. So, you know, for me, that was incredibly liberating to understand this. And what I came to, to understand is, and I never knew this before, but that there are, are millions and millions and millions of 
great, wonderful Christian people who believe that God created the earth in six literal days, six 24-hour periods. They believe in something called young earth creationism. And then there's also millions and millions and millions of great Christ followers who believe that this was this divinely orchestrated process, that God created the world, you know, through, through evolution, and they're called evolutionary creationists. And both of these groups, and this is what I never knew, both of these groups actually coexist in churches and can harmoniously work together in churches. And here's the big thing. We get caught up in the debate a lot of times. And here's the thing that I just realized, okay? Whether you believe it was six literal days or whether you believe it was billions of years, how does that impact what you're going to do like the rest of today when you walk out of here? How does that impact your relationship with God, really? I mean, does that impact how you're going to treat other people? Does that impact, um, you know, how you follow Jesus Christ? Does that really make a difference? Not that it's not an important issue that should be wrestled with and discussed. And I know people get really excited about this issue and can debate the pros and cons of both sides. And that's wonderful. But the point is that we can all, you know, we, we can subscribe to either side of that theory and we can still follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. This was a tremendously big breakthrough for me. I also picked up a kind of an interesting nugget along the way because I really was kind of questioning everything and even going back to, you know, can God even exist and, and looking at this whole evolution thing. What I realized was that if you subscribe to the theory of evolution without any kind of divine involvement at all, without God at all, just straight up, just evolu- random evolution that kind of happened, right? Natural selection or whatever. Um, you, you, you actually have a little bit of, of a dilemma. And the dilemma is, let's say you believe, okay, that there was this big bang and that started everything. Well, what caused the bang? I mean, what, what, how did the bang begin? Or, you know, you've got this, um, you've got these little particles, this, uh, what is it? Not probiotic soup, but what is it? Come on. Primordial. Yeah, thank you. Pri- pri- primordial soup, right? So, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, but, you know, so what, what, caused that to, what caused that to exist? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, trace it back to the ultimate starting point. If things are in motion, right, this universe is constantly expanding, what put it in motion? What put it in motion? You know, it's fascinating. I, knew, I never knew this. Did you know that Darwin, who, you know, he advanced this theory of evolution? He, he believed in God. He's on record. It's very clear. He, he still believed in God. For him, evolution didn't explain away God at all. So anyway, here, here's the main point, and then I want to get to the second one. The main point is, what I came to realize was that you can, you can believe in science. You don't have to throw all that out. You can believe in science and, and still totally be a committed Christian in your faith. Now, you can choose, hey, I don't believe this, this, and this, and you can have issues with science. That's totally cool. But the point is, you, you can, you know, there's multiple ways that you can, you can see this thing. Okay? So that's the first one massive, massive breakthrough for me because that was a a big stumbling block for me to coming to faith. But here's the second one, and this really, this dwarfs the other one. I mean, this this is a huge, huge issue, and this is actually what Paul is relentlessly about in Acts chapter 17. See, what Paul is driving at in Acts chapter 17, if you look, whether he's in the synagogue or the marketplace or he's in the Areopagus, debating with these philosophers, is Paul is laser-focused on one issue, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the biggest question 
The ultimate question in our faith comes down to this. Is Jesus of Nazareth really the Son of God? Because if he's not, then you completely actually, like Christianity doesn't make sense. It just doesn't, okay? So the question is, what about this whole resurrection thing? How can we, you know, what do we know about Jesus? And so I went on this, this quest to try and figure out, okay, well, what do we know about Jesus? First of all, did Jesus actually live or was this some conjured up story? And so I went to do, I was doing this research stuff. And so I, I started, I'm not, I mean, there's obviously tons in the Bible that talks about Jesus. You know, there's all these accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels of his life. But I wasn't interested in the Bible because like they were his followers and they could have made all this stuff up. So I threw that out and I'm like, okay, you can't start with the Bible. You got to start with other stuff, extra biblical texts, stuff outside the Bible. What does it say about Jesus? And it's fascinating that there's absolutely no doubt because Jesus is recorded by a number of historians during that period, Jewish historians, Roman historians, um, you know, who, who didn't have faith. They weren't Christians, okay? They were, just, they were just documenting history and what happened in those times. There is no doubt, no one debates that Jesus of Nazareth lived, that he was this great teacher, that he had these followers, and that ultimately he was crucified by this guy named Pontius Pilate. There's no dispute about that whatsoever outside of the Bible, okay? No dispute. But what is disputed is what happened after he died. What's disputed is the resurrection. Did he actually rise from the dead? And that's really the main issue, isn't it? Because if he didn't rise from the dead, then it doesn't really matter what he did in his life, how great he was. He was just a man. He was just a person like we are, right? Death defeated him. He was done. That was the end. But not only that, not only was he just a man, I'm going to make the case that he was totally delusional. Okay? Totally delusional. If he was just a man, if he was just a great teacher, if he was just some prophet, check this out. This is all these words you're going to read are Jesus' words. Okay? Listen to what he says. He goes, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Referring to God in heaven. Then he says, I existed. That was John 14, 9. This is John 8, 58. He says, I existed before Abraham was even born. Abraham lived like centuries earlier, okay? So if he's not really God, if he's not like divine and eternal, Jesus is certifiably crazy, okay? I mean, really. I, I just, I got to read you another one. Okay, in John eight twelve, he says, I am the light of the world. I, I want you to think about this, okay? I want you to think about if you walk into your school this week, okay, tomorrow, you walk into your workplace this week, and as you're going to, you know, going to your first class or going to get coffee or whatever, if, uh, if your coworker or your friend or whatever, someone stands up and goes, hey, guys, I'm the light of the world. Do you understand how bizarre that is? They could be the most brilliant person. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. Do, do you understand how crazy that is if he is not God? These things that he said. Now, my, probably my favorite one is Luke 7, 48, where, where Jesus, and he does this repeatedly in his ministry. He'll turn to someone. He healed a lot of different people, did miracles. But he'd turn repeatedly to people and he'd go, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. 
your sins are forgiven. Think about how bizarre that is, okay? Well, someone walks up to you and goes, hey, you know what? It's cool. Your sins are forgiven, brother. Who are you? You can't forgive my sins, right? It doesn't make any sense unless the sin was committed against that person. How can a third party forgive sins unless somehow that sin has been committed against the third party? It just doesn't make any sense. So here's my thing. If Jesus Christ, this is what I arrived at, okay? If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, then he's crazy. He, he's just crazy. Or he's a total egomaniac. But if he did, if he rose from that, it proves that he's God. Because really the only thing that proves you're God is if you can overcome death, if you're divine and eternal. So the question becomes, so how do we know that Jesus was raised from the dead. I mean, what do we have? What's the stuff we can point to and look at to say, yeah, uh, this, this, maybe this happened? Well, we know that according to the Bible, that he appeared to hundreds and hundreds of people who actually witnessed seeing him after he was crucified and, and dead and put in the tomb. He appeared later. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 5 and 6, I'm not going to read all the way through that, but you see there in those verses that it, 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 sh- it says, there's this claim that Jesus appeared not just to like one or two people. He appeared to like tons and tons and tons of people who'd been following him. Okay? Now, you might be going, okay, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. I mean, these people that he appeared to who went around talking about Jesus and he rose from the dead and all this, I mean, they were his followers. So, Of course they were saying this. They made it up, right? They didn't want to look stupid. They'd been devoting years of their life to following this guy, to living out his teachings. And all of a sudden, you know, he comes to Jerusalem, boom, he gets hung on a cross, he's dead. The whole thing's done. So, of course they made it up. They made it up because they didn't want to seem like they'd wasted their lives. They looked like idiots. What were they going to do now? So they cooked up this great lie. They cooked up this theory. Well, here's the the problem with that logic. If they cooked up this lie to make themselves not look so stupid, think about, for those of you who've read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what did the disciples look like in those Gospels? Okay? Because these were written by his followers. Like these guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they they wrote this stuff because they they, they had to write it because this was so unbelievably amazing, right? But if you think about it, Okay, here's what you see in the Gospels. You see Jesus, and he's telling these parables. He's teaching people this amazing stuff. And what are the disciples constantly doing? They're constantly pulling Jesus aside and going, Jesus, what the heck were you talking about, dude? We have no clue what you were saying now. Could you please explain it to us? I mean, they look totally foolish and in the dark, like they can't get it, okay? That's the first one. Second thing is Jesus is going around, and they, they run into trouble. They got crowds to feed. They're on stormy seas, and, and they're, they're constantly freaking out, and they're asking Jesus, come on, Jesus, you got to help. Don't you care? We're all going to die. And what does Jesus keep saying? Ye of little, ye of little faith. Come on, guys. It's going to be all right. So they look like they have no faith and no understanding. They look ridiculously foolish. Then you've got two of the disciples that get into this huge dispute about who's going to be the greatest at the end of the day. And it's, it gets so pathetic that in one of the accounts, it's actually their mom that has to go and try and ask Jesus for this, for this kind of this favor. And so they're, they're, it's like power struggle and selfishness. 
then greed. And then when Jesus gets arrested, what happens? They totally scatter. They desert him with the exception of two. And two of the disciples, they run just to kind of see where the trial is going to be held. And, um, and, so, and, and one of them is Peter, right? And so Peter is in this courtyard. You've probably heard this story. He's in this courtyard outside of what the action is going on inside, just outside this courtyard. And he's trying to play it cool, you know, keep a low profile. And uh, he's totally freaking out inside. You can tell because he gets addressed by this little servant girl. And she goes, hey, aren't you, aren't you one of his followers? Yeah, you, you're with him. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. He totally denies it in front of a little girl. Okay? Totally denies having anything to do with Jesus. Because why? He's afraid for his life. So the disciples are seen denying Jesus. And then what we see is then after Jesus dies, there's this account where they're all sitting in this room and they are just cowering in this room. They're freaking out. They're worried that the authorities are going to come and they're going to take them and they're going to do the same thing and they're going to make an example out of them. So think about it. If these guys said, you know, we're going to cook this thing up because we look pretty stupid, why would they write what they wrote? It doesn't make any sense. The disciples look ridiculous in the gospel accounts. And that's actually one of the things for me that is tremendously compelling that helped me to say, you know what? I can put stock in these gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that they're accurate, that they're reliable, that they make sense. Because why would they make some of this stuff up? It just doesn't follow that they would do that. But let's just continue on and just say, well, maybe they just did it to really trick you, Derek. So, you know. They did a really good job of writing this stuff, um, and they made themselves look like idiots. Let's just go with it. Let's just continue on, that they made up this lie, okay? Jesus rose. He really didn't, but he rose. Let's just spread it around, okay? I want you to think with me for a second. Why do we lie? Why do we make up lies? We make up lies to avoid what? We make up lies to avoid getting in trouble, don't we? That's why, I mean, primarily that's why we lie, is to get ourselves out of a bad situation, to get ourselves out of trouble, to stall and give yourself a little bit more time, you will say a lie, okay? Does it follow that you would lie to get yourself into more trouble? I'm just asking. See, here's the deal. These followers went around, and what they did was they went around and they said, Guess what, guys? Okay, if this is a lie, this is really, really, you got to really reach for this one, okay? Guess what? They went around telling everyone that they knew. They went into the synagogues, because these guys were Jewish, and they went into the synagogues, and they told all their friends, and they threw the synagogue into an uproar, you know? And people started coming to put in their faith in Jesus. Really, you saw him with your own eyes? You swear? You really did? Okay, I'm with you. And, and so then all of a sudden, it's like threatening the Jewish movement, you know? There's turmoil in the synagogue. And then they're going out in the streets, and they're talking to anybody who will listen to them. Here's the deal. And so the Roman, the Roman Empire is thrown into this tizzy as well because you see what happens is, is Caesar is this, is this deity that's supposed to be worshipped like God. Well, the Christians were like, no, we can't do that. We know who God is now. You see what I'm saying? So then there's this threat against Caesar and his power and his authority. And so, so the problem is that as they go around spreading this lie, 
okay, if it's a lie, they're going around spreading this lie, and here's the deal. They are getting themselves into all sorts of trouble. Now they've got the Jewish authorities, they've got the Roman authorities, and basically these guys are, are called to stand in front of them, and these authorities have the power to kill them, and basically they're like, listen, you guys have got to shut up. You've got to quit spreading this around. Okay, this is ridiculous. It's causing all sorts of problems. Okay, and if you don't stop spreading this around, we're going to kill you, and we're going to, we are, it's not going to be pretty. It, we are going to, it's going to be, you're going to torture you, and we're going to kill you in horrific ways. You're going to be humiliated. You're going to be made an example of. We are just, it's just going to be terrible. All you have to do is just shut up. That's it. Just be quiet. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't help themselves. Think about this. This is um, from some historical records, okay, that um, talk about just some of these followers. Andrew and Bartholomew, they were crucified. Jesus' brother James, he was stoned. All these guys, ultimately, they were killed because they wouldn't shut up about who Jesus was and the fact that he rose and that they'd seen him. Philip and Simon, crucified. John was exiled and then basically died in exile. Matthew was killed by the sword. Thaddeus was killed by arrows. Thomas was killed by spears. And Peter was crucified upside down. Peter didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord Jesus Christ. And so he asked to be crucified upside down. Now, so here's the, here's the big thing. Why would you die for a lie? Now, I could understand why you would die for a lie if you didn't know it was a lie. Like if someone convinced you, but you yourself believed it, well, then I could see you dying for that. But if you knew it was a lie, would you really say, okay, torture me, kill me? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't, that, that, again, you might be totally not feeling this, but, but this for me was like, I, I was so just staggered as I kind of walked through this. So why would you die for a lie? That's the big thing. All these people went to their death. For this thing. Nobody cracked. Nobody said, okay, I'm sorry. I got to expose it. You know, we came up with this thing. Nobody cracked if it was a lie. So if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to all these followers who then were killed for just testifying to what they had seen, you have to admit that something unbelievable happened. Because you see, Jesus had this little movement going on and then he gets killed. And at that point, it's done. The movement is over. Everybody is freaking out and scared. So what happened then? How do you explain this explosive growth, this explosive movement of Christianity? How else do you explain it? I would love to hear a compelling you know, other reason, but the most plausible one for me is that it actually happened. That's what I arrived at. And so for me, this was... Um, year 2000, um, I remember kind of sifting through all this stuff, and I'd really been kind of examining different things and lots of different questions, and as I sat there and as I took it all in, there was this moment, it was about November, I think, and and I just had this night um, where I was looking at it all, and I just kind of came to a point, and I said, okay, God, I can't believe this, but (laughs) I believe. I, I I believe, Jesus, that you are who you said you were. And um, it doesn't totally make sense to me, but I'm going to follow you. 
And I remember I just, just me and God, I just, just confessed that. And I got to tell you that I still had a gazillion questions about Christianity, about the Bible, about all sorts of stuff. I didn't understand the whole concept of hell. I didn't understand heaven and how that works. I didn't understand the the Holy Spirit. What is that? And Father, Son, Holy Spirit, how does that whole thing work? I didn't get that. I didn't understand suffering. Okay? I didn't understand homosexuality. I didn't understand abortion. I didn't understand plenty of issues. Okay? I didn't understand how God intersected with all those things and how to make sense of that in my faith. I didn't get that. Okay? Many of you are here, and you have a tremendous number of questions right now. But here's the thing for me. I came to a place where I had enough reason to believe. I had enough. I wasn't going to get all my answers figured out. You're never going to get all your answers figured out, just in case you're wondering. Um, but I had enough. I had enough to be able to make that step of faith. And Because he, here's the thing, okay? The whole deal with, with, with believing, the whole deal with faith, is you're never going to have 100% proof. You're never going to have 100% reason. It's never going to fully 100% make sense, Okay? You're never going to get to 100%. That's why it's called faith. If it was like airtight, crystal clear, everyone, it could be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, everyone in the whole world would believe it. Right? That's why it's called faith. I'm going to ask the music team to jump up here now with me. And uh, they've got a a final song that they are going to play for us. And I just want to let you know that if you're here today and... um, You've really been wrestling with a lot of these things. You've been wrestling with this whole idea of God and and is Jesus who he said he was and trying to understand and make sense of the Bible. And there's lots of different things that we're trying to figure out. You may be here and you may have tons of questions. My question to you is, do you have enough reason to believe? Is there enough that compels you that you can say, you know what? wow, of all the different, you know, things that I could believe in and all the different ones that I could choose to follow, maybe if, if there's one that actually claimed to defeat death, boy, that's a pretty good one to follow. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty solid right there. So um, I just, I, I challenge you to think about that. As, as they play this last song, I'm just going to read you the first four lines of the song. It says, I am not skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. But then here comes the confession. They've got enough reason to believe. I only know that at his right hand, meaning God the Father's right hand, stands one who is my Savior. That's the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So as we sing this final song, there may be some of you in this room who are actually at that place where you're like, you know what? I do have enough reason to believe. I don't know, you know, why I keep hesitating and keep putting it off, but maybe for some of you, today's the day. And uh, it's an awesome day. It's a totally joyous, mind-blowing, incredible day. You read in Luke 15 that, like, there's a party in heaven going on when you come to this declaration of your faith. But some of you may need some time more to reflect on this. And so what I'm going to invite everyone to do is go ahead and stand up. And... Um, whether you're here and you just kind of want to make this song a prayer and you just give this over to God, 
and you just say, God, I don't know that I'm there, but help me to believe. Or, you know, whether you just, you know, want to just allow this song to kind of wash over you or you, you already believe and so you just want to sing this out. I just encourage you. And if you're here and you are on board, uh, you have no idea how just your voice singing, your declaration of faith impacts those around you, encourages those around you. So I encourage everybody to participate as we sing this last song. And then after the song closes, I'm going to say a final word of prayer for us.
sight of the compelling reasons that, that drew us to faith many, many years ago. Uh, Lord, we recommit ourselves to you. We thank you that you are always there for us, always reaching out to us, so patient and loving with us. And there are many of us in this room right now who commit ourselves back to you, God. Uh, Lord, and there are others of us in this room who we have been on a long and relentless search for you with tons of questions. And God, we don't have all the answers but we have actually enough to put our stock, to, to wager our bet on you, Jesus. And God, what an awesome day that is for some in this room right now, God. Uh, we lift them up to you. We pray that you'd meet them in their seat right now and uh, that you would welcome them into your kingdom. And um, we thank you what a great privilege it is to know a God who loves us, to know a God who's willing to come down to this earth so that we would know you and, and be won over by your love. And uh, so we just thank you. Send us out today joyous and uh, just wanting to impact others with your love. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you guys.